This is Due South, broadcasting from the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham. I'm Jeff Tabiri. 104 years ago this month, sober January took on an entirely different meaning when the Volstead Act went into effect and the prohibition of alcohol in America began. The 18th Amendment led to a dry decade in the U.S. Well, kind of, sort of. And it wasn't until 1933 that prohibition was repealed. Today, there is, of course, no shortage of booze in our country, from sporting events to movie theaters to many coffee shops. However, alcohol consumption in the American South isn't quite as ubiquitous as other regions. And in this first month of the year, consumption drops. Or does it? Later this hour, we're going to speak with two local business owners who have opened a mocktail establishment in Raleigh, and we'll visit with a researcher to better understand just how bad booze is for our bodies. But first, a couple of folks from Pew Research Center. Drew DeSilver is a senior writer. Catherine Schaefer is a research analyst. Welcome to Do South. Thanks for having us, Jeff. All right, let's crack the conversation open. When was your last alcoholic drink, and what was it? Catherine? Oh, geez. Um... Probably about a week and a half ago, um, glass of beer with friends. Drew? Uh, I'm thinking it was almost certainly New Year's Eve, and uh, I believe I had a couple of beers. Uh, we had some friends over for dinner, and uh, that that was about it. All right, fair enough. Uh, my latest uh, beer consumed was uh, just recently during a, a professional football game. So, Drew, I take it you're doing sober January if you have not had any alcohol since uh, since New Year's Eve. Is this the first time you've done it? Uh, no, I'm not doing sober January. I don't. Uh, I don't do that sort of thing. I I, uh, I drink beer when I want to, and I don't drink it when I don't want to. Fair enough. Uh, and you I just, just haven't had the haven't had the occasion to uh, to uh, hoist a glass since uh, since New Year's Eve. Fair enough. Fair enough. Shouldn't presume. Lesson learned. Uh, okay, so sample size of three, not large by any means. Um, what can you tell us about the percentage of Americans who do drink regularly? Catherine? Yeah, happy to take this one. So um, in our work, we looked to Gallup for these drinking trends because they have been asking Americans about this topic for decades. And what they found most recently is that 62% of Americans say that they ever have alcohol and another 38% say that they never drink. Okay. Interesting. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, So uh, the two of you co-authored a piece uh, that was published earlier this month. It lays out 10 facts about American alcohol consumption. I want to pivot first to number seven, and that is per capita alcohol consumption appears to be highest in the West and lowest in the South. Drew, how much lower, and theories as to why? Well, that's a a good question. Uh, And we we consciously use the word appears in that finding because the numbers are not quite what they would seem to be. Uh, What it looks like, if you look at the numbers, that the highest alcohol consumption is in the upper Midwest and on the West Coast, and lowest would seem to be sort of in the deep South. I'm thinking in Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina. Now, those are real numbers. They come from uh, they come from the uh, federal government, uh, the National Institute of Alcoholism and Alcohol Abuse. But they don't say exactly what you would think they would say because they don't take into account a couple of things. They don't take into account people going across the border to across uh, state lines to buy alcohol, which you might do if you live near the border and your neighboring state it has a lot less. You might uh, want to 
hop over there and uh, pick up a six pack or something. It also doesn't take into account tourism, which is a big deal, particularly in places like, oh, Nevada. Nevada is one of the highest, uh, per appears to be one of the highest per capita in the country, but a lot of tourists go to Las Vegas. DC appears to be the highest, one of the highest. A lot of tourists come here. A lot of people from out of, from our neighboring states come to DC on a regular basis. Uh, but uh, so if the, you you go to a restaurant in downtown DC and you have a glass of wine, that counts as DC consumption, even if you know you yourself go back to Virginia at the end of the night. Uh, same with Florida. Uh, but so that said, so you got to take the numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt. But you know it might not be surprising for the, uh, for people to know that you know places like Alabama or Georgia would have seemed to have relatively low consumption given uh, the demographics of the states of those states. I mean, you look at a state like Utah, uh, which has by far uh, the lowest uh, per capita consumption in the country. And there's a pretty clear reason why that, uh, that should not be surprising. And I think that pretty clear reason is, of course, religion. Uh, Catherine Schaefer and Drew DeSilver are here on Due South. We're chatting about alcohol consumption, a little bit of sober January uh, here on the program. Uh, Catherine, if you will, pick up that religious note and move forward with it for me, for us, if it's appropriate. If alcohol consumption is low in Utah, is it similarly low, relatively speaking, per capita in the American South because of the Bible Belt? Is that a fair connection to make? The data that we have doesn't allow us to draw that conclusion, unfortunately. Yeah, we can't. We can't say why, unfortunately. I mean, I think you know, in a in a sort of a real outlier case like Utah, you can plausibly make that assumption. But I think in in other states, it's really not something that we could say for sure. It, it, although we could say it might not be surprising if one if that were to be the case, but. We can't make the direct causal connection. Let me uh, pursue with you if you have other theories or if there are other indicators or variables. Why might alcohol consumption be lower per capita in the South than some other reasons, uh, regions of the country? Well, I can say so. We can't, I can't connect to this regionally, but I can say that Gallup asked a broad question, which we included in our analysis that was just an open-ended format asking Americans who don't drink, um, why not? And like I said, I don't have a regional way to slice and dice this, but the largest percentage, about a quarter, said that the reason that they don't drink is because they're just not interested. They don't want to. Um, and a much smaller share, so this was like by far not among the most popular answers but a much smaller percentage did cite religious reasons, although people are far more likely to say that they don't want to or that it's unhealthy or that they had a bad past experience with alcohol rather than um, anything to do with religion. So if December is the month in which the most alcohol is purchased and January and February are typically the slowest months for alcohol sellers, I'm wondering if this is because people have stockpiled alcohol, <laughs> if they've had so much uh, in the way of consumption that they're saying, we got to give the liver, we got to give the body a break. Um, unpack that for us a little bit, if you can. Drew? It, 
it, it very well could be. Uh, we can't, again, we can't say for sure why, because, you know, what we have to work with is we have the sales data from the Commerce Department. And that's what we, you know, we know how much was sold. We know when it was sold. We don't know why it was sold. Now, that said, December, it's a big time for parties. Uh, it's a big time for gift giving. Uh, and the, the, the trend of you know, just how uh, uh, sales for, for alcohol to skyrocket in January, or I'm sorry, in December compared to the rest of the year is really quite uh, start striking. And it's been that way every year that we look at it. We went back to 1999 with this data. And every year, December was by far the highest month for, for our sales. And, that, and I should say, these are for sales at beer, wine, and liquor stores specifically. They're not like if you buy a six-pack at the grocery store, that wouldn't show up in these numbers. But it's sort of indicative of the broader market for alcoholic beverages. Now, why might that be? It could be parties, it could be gifts, uh, it could be uh, general stocking up, and then you kind of work your stockpile down the rest of the year. There could be a lot of reasons why that would be, but uh, the fact that the trend has held up for so many years is really kind of striking all by itself. Catherine, one of the other facts that you all include in this publication, it reads as follows. About one in five adults who drink alcohol say they sometimes drink more than they should. Uh, And this then is delineated out within uh, income brackets as well. And I'm wondering if you'll just uh, get into the research a little bit, get into the data uh, about what we can glean from who drinks and how much money they're making. So that uh, particular survey question, there were three breaks that stood out. Uh, the one you mentioned is income. Uh, the other is age. Um, adults under 35 say that they uh, more often drink more than they should rather than more than older adults. And also men are more likely than women to report drinking a little more than they should. Uh, circling back to the income break. So we see that about a quarter of adults in the highest income bracket that Gallup looked at, uh, so making more than $100,000 in their household annually, say that they occasionally drink a little too much. Um, This is compared with 10%, so uh, about half or less um, is the figure there, of those who make Mm $40,000 in their household annually. so there's a pretty big break there. I Gallup doesn't get into why this is. So again, we, we don't know why people say that they're drinking more than they should or um, how they feel about it. Sure. But that was a pretty stark difference in the data. Maybe a throwaway here, but like a larger market landscape variable question, and it does not enter into the the research here at all, but I'm wondering if there is any data as it pertains to cannabis and the legalization of cannabis and how that's a factor in, in this larger conversation. That, that, that's a very interesting question. I don't think we have any data on that specifically because in most parts of the country, cannabis has only been legal, at least legal on the state level. It is still illegal on the federal level. We have to say that. Um, but it's only been legal in the, in various states for the last couple of years. Catherine Schaefer and Drew DeSilver are with Pew Research Center. We're going to chat a little bit more with them on the other side. First, uh, we'll take a quick break. This is Do South on North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. 
Welcome back. It's Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. We're chatting with uh, a couple of folks from Pew Research Center. Catherine Schaefer is a research analyst. Drew DeSilver is a senior writer. We're talking about uh, some of the habits that Americans have when it comes to consuming alcohol. Catherine, if you would, I'm interested for you to unpack one of the figures that's in this piece that was published earlier this month. And it says underage drinking among U.S. teens has declined over the last 20 years. How much? So according to the University of Michigan's Monitoring the Future survey, which is where we looked to get this data, it's declined quite a bit. So the one limitation here is that they do survey high school students. So we're able to look at 12th graders, 10th graders, and 8th graders. But in terms of you know, people between the ages of maybe 18, 19, and 20 who are in college, this we don't know for sure um, based on this survey. The rate of drinking among this group in high school has declined uh, quite a bit. So for instance, in 2023 last year, 46% of 12th graders, so a little under half, said that they had had alcohol within the year. Um, preceding the survey. But 20 years prior to that, in 2001, about three quarters of 12th graders had had alcohol in the year preceding the survey. And this is this is the case among 10th graders and 8th graders as well. We see that they're reporting that they are less likely to have not only had alcohol in the past year, but also in the past 30 days. And all three grade levels, kids are less likely to report binge drinking as mm. well. So the, the rates have declined um, in the past 20 years for all of these all of these markers and all of these groups. Sure. One last question or one last thing to, uh, I wanted to hit on uh, from you all uh, is in reading your piece, it, to, to my mind, to my eye, it looks like about 42% of the alcohol consumed by Americans is beer. 17% uh, is wine. I'm going to deduce here 42 plus 17 is 59. 100 minus 59 is 41. So is the other 41% hard liquor? This is a two-part question. Number one. Basically, is basically the, yes. Yeah, basically yes. Okay. All right. So we answered that question. So it's 42% beer, 17% wine, and 41% uh, hard liquor. How yeah, is that changed? Rounding, but yeah, that's sure, right. and I'm okay with that. But how has that that changed over time, or is that pretty steady? With uh, it has not been steady. Uh, in fact, uh, people are getting the, the the broad trend over the last fifty odd years is people are drinking less beer, more wine, and well, roughly the same amount of spirits. A little bit less, a little bit less in distilled spirits, but mm. distilled spirits, of course, are whiskey, vodka, rum, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but of course, you know, there's a lot more alcohol per ounce in the glass of whiskey than there is in a glass of wine. And there's more alcohol in a glass of wine than a glass of beer. So, you know, we can track the consumption of beverages, but then if you want to track the amount of alcohol that you get from each of those beverages, the trends look to be a little bit different. Yes and no, though, right? Like a 12-ounce can of beer, a six-ounce glass of wine, and a shot and a half of, I think it's 80-proof alcohol, there's the same amount of alcohol in all three of those drinks. 
True, but but uh, most if you can probably consume 12, 12 ounces of beer more than you can consume twelve ounces of of, uh, of whiskey, uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so the broadly speaking, you know, we're getting a little bit less alcohol from beer than we used to. Like in nineteen seventy one, it was more like forty five percent of of the alcohol that we consumed came from beer. And now it's down to about forty two percent. With wine, it's gone from like twelve percent. 50 years ago to 17 plus percent now. And if you look at the, the, uh, the, the, the beverage consumption figures, we are definitely drinking more wine than we used to. We drink, uh, the average person drinks 3.8 gallons of wine hmm. a year uh, versus 3.2 get a gallons 50, 50 years prior. Uh, and spirits, you know, we, uh, we drink a little bit fewer spirits than we used to. And, uh, the amount of liquor, or the amount of pure alcohol we get from those spirits is down slightly over the last 50 years, from like 43.5% to 40%. Drew DeSilver is a senior writer at Pew Research Center. Catherine Schaefer is a research analyst at Pew Research Center. Thanks to you both for joining us here on Do South. Thanks a lot Thanks for, for having us. It's Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. We're talking about alcohol this hour, how Americans consume it, how much of it we consume, and how our habits are changing, even if only for the month of sober, damp January. January. Here in studio now is Meg Paradise, co-owner of Umbrella Dry Bar, a relatively new establishment in downtown Raleigh. Meg, welcome to Due South. You spent more than a decade working for Whole Foods, and then a couple of years ago, you had a dream but you literally had a dream. Tell us what the dream was and how the story starts there. Yeah, I it was it literally was a dream. It was wild. So uh, my oldest son is five, so about six years ago is when I was first pregnant, and that's when I sort of delved into non-drinking. Um, so that was, um, you know, but not really by choice necessarily. I mean, Because you were pregnant. Yeah, because I was pregnant. I, mean, I have a five-and-a-half-year-old son, like, so my wife. Yeah, still like somewhat of a choice, but— a, wise decision not to be drinking for nine months pretty much and um at first I was really kind of uncomfortable with that it felt sort of isolating by not drinking in scenarios where typically alcohol is super prevalent so I still like going out to bars and like doing all the things with my friends and I, I felt kind of like in a, an awkward scenario by being pregnant and like I can't drink or like I shouldn't drink I know that I shouldn't be doing this um and then after that, but then I, I sort of realized I could see things so much more clearly and I just sort of put a new perspective on it, you know, kind of held the mirror up in my face and was saying like to myself, is this the person that I want to continue to be? Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't like in that moment that I made any kind of a decision. It was just during that nine month stretch, it really was a sort of self-reflective time. Mm-hmm. And then um, post-pregnancy, as you say, just, with a five and a, a half year a old, small here. change to yeah, your life, and I'm a man, so yeah, yeah, sort of like in a in a dream state for a while, sort of a little bit of a zombie with sleeping, and then sort of realized the impact at that point of, um, you know, just even a small amount of alcohol, how it af- was affecting sleep habits. So I wasn't really feeling super called to it, but it still was like, okay, well, I, you know, now I can drink, and now we're. G- going to these events where like going to the brewery and like hanging out outside mm-hmm. like maybe I'll have a beer and mm-hmm. just like um just 
able to make the decision again. And then I was pregnant again, same thing. And then after that, I was reading this book called Quit Like a Woman. I forget the like subtitle, but it's like something like um, in a world that's obsessed with alcohol or like an alcohol-centric world. And it was also at a time that um, COVID restrictions were laxing. We're just starting starting to relax. So that's when I did my first post-COVID and post second baby work trip mm. to Austin, um, which is where Whole Foods is headquartered. Yep. Um, and I was reading the book on the plane. I was like, okay, well, I don't necessarily have the same responsibilities as I do when I'm at home with a, you know, less than one-year-old baby and like a three-year-old. So I, you know, potentially could be drinking and like seeing my friends and going out to dinner and doing the things. And um, I was like, I'm just going to try not doing that on this trip and see how I feel. Just because I was like, in the midst of reading this book and I felt amazing because I could actually like have a full night's rest which was awesome um but also you know I would wake up early go to the gym um that just sort of had positive domino effects for the rest of the day like what I was consuming which also like when you work at Whole Foods that's kind of easy (laughs) but um like it just continued. I felt like I was able to really contribute during my meetings, just like felt really super strong and on point, but still doing like still going out to dinner, going on bike rides, like doing all the things with my friends that I hadn't seen Mm -hmm. in person in quite a while, which was cool. And so, um, you know, the next couple of weeks, I was still reading that book. And one evening in September of 2021, Right before bed, which is, like, the only time I read. I read for, like, somewhere between three minutes and, like, 15 minutes. Right. And then it's Egg just a screen out. Child. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's just out, lights out. But I still try to, like, at least get a couple of pages in. But I was reading this book before bed, and I feel like that it really um, supplants into your subconscious, like, you know, what you're reading before bedtime. And I woke up like three o'clock in the morning and it was near the end of the book and it was saying something like, wouldn't it be cool if there were more social spaces that existed that were not revolving around alcohol? Mm -hmm. And so I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I want that to exist. I really, really, really want that to exist. I love the social aspect. I love like getting dressed up and going out and meeting friends and like having a specific thing to go out and to do Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, pretty much everything, even like going to a concert or going, you know, going out to dinner, all of these things, even if it's not pushed in your face, like you need to be drinking, it feels like, I feel like there's sort of the environmental pressure to do so just because there is alcohol at all of those things. Um, We're chatting with Meg Paradise here on Due South about Umbrella Dry Bar, which is a new establishment in downtown Raleigh. And it's part of our conversation here on Due South about Sober January, annuary, and also just some of our our habits and uh, practices around drinking. So just a quick, uh, I guess, a point or acknowledgement here. You went on the anti-bender in Austin, Texas, which is probably (laughs) one of the least likely places to go on the anti-bender. My term that I just coined here, (laughs) anti-bender. So how long, and we're going to get into uh, your establishment, Umbrella Dry Bar, here in a little bit. But if you would, roughly, uh, how long from dream until you had business plan? until this place became a reality? Was it months? Was it a year? So it's been a little over two years at this point. So that night that I was having the dream, September 2021, I woke up and I was thinking, okay, well, what I want this to exist. 
what keeps you dry? I was like, what, you know, rain jacket, galoshes, like silly things. My last name is Paradise, like something related to Paradise mm-hmm. that keeps you dry. I was like, you know what? Umbrella, umbrella dry bar. That umbrella dry bar is what it's going to be called. That's it. And it was more so even just like the naming of it that then sort of got me thinking about the space. And in the morning, I woke up, like grabbed a journal and started writing all about it, like sort of the vision and what I felt like what I would the place that I would want to go mm-hmm. like what do I want this yeah. to look like and then um, within a couple of weeks maybe two or three weeks I formed an LLC and just started figuring out how to how to create a business and so that was like October 2021 created the LLC um, started looking for a space which I didn't know how to go about doing any of that so mm-hmm. just was like kind of doing it on my own and trying sure. to figure that out like didn't have a broker or anything yeah um, last in 2022 like started building the brand and doing the logo and the branding and the website and kind of what the intentionality behind all of that like mm-hmm. worked with a lot of different groups to kind of make it what I wanted it to feel like, make that portrayed to our guests. Um, And then last year, I did over 100 pop-ups all around Raleigh, Raleigh Plus area. Um, End up have... We're um, talking farmer's markets, uh, just various events where you can share your brand. You can introduce yourself to these communities. Exactly. And then the grand opening was late December? Yes, we did New Year's Eve grand opening party as a ticketed event, and then January 5th was our first day open to the public. A couple of quick follow-ups here. Um, How many many people were there on New Year's Eve? About 70. 70. Yeah, which is our seating capacity. Yeah. You talk about your journey experience with alcohol. Do you, and I'm just admittedly being nosy here, do you consider yourself sober? Have you not had a drink in six years? Do you occasionally have a glass of champagne or beer or whatever it is you like? I don't put a label on it at all. I don't um, use, I don't identify with the term sober, so like I don't consider myself to be sober, but I also haven't drank um, in two and a half years. So like since okay. that time of the dream, pretty much like yeah. maybe a month or two before that. So. I just, I don't feel drawn to it anymore. And yeah. that one of the things in that book, which I've read so many, you know, books and other things since then, but it's more about habit stacking, positive things. So it's kind of like, you know, you put the the cookies in front of you and you walk past it a hundred times. At one point, you're probably, if you say like, you can't have the cookies, you can't have the cookies. It's a restriction. Like you don't do it. Um, at some point, you probably will have a cookie. But if you have a bowl of strawberries next to it, too, and they, you keep walking past it, walking past it, like, you have something good to grab as well. So I just, I'm really more so, like, what are the positive things that I can add and not what are the restrictions and what am I taking away? And that's just, like, in general, how I think of everything in life. I, I love the habit stacking. It's good for me in many instances, and I need to be better about it. In some instances, specific to drinking, my general habit stack is like Sunday through Thursday, Monday through Friday. Like I'll drink generally two nights a week. Um, I want to prod a little bit on the business because I am interested in it. Um, Just briefly from a financial standpoint, if you're willing to go there, do you take out a big loan? Did you sign a 10-year lease? Like what is like setting aside the the, the content here and what what your heart is, but like the brass tacks of the business, um, how much of a sacrifice is that I'm not a small business owner and I imagine it takes a lot of capital to do something like this. It does. Yeah. Um, 
in an incredible amount. And so last year, about a year ago, I started doing a community raise, which I thought was going to be a great way to kind of get the community involved, sort of have that validation that people want this space and raised about $60,000 through that, which was really cool. And all of that was like some people giving $100, $500, maybe a couple thousand. And um, that was a revenue share. And so I haven't actually drawn from that but I did that because I, prior to that, I was looking for investors and like, I don't have a network like this, you know, I've never done anything like yeah. this. Um, and so I just didn't think that the right person would exist that would be both share the vision and like understand and want to make this a more approachable thing. Number two, have the business experience and acumen to implement it and number three to have the cash to to do that so i was like you know there's definitely someone who's going to be one or two of these there's not going to be anyone who's all three of these and the most perfect person just came out of the blue and so i have a business partner now um who was able to help with the financial aspect and we're we're co-owners and that's kevin barry he's Mm -hmm. not able to be here today uh so Kevin steps into the picture, um, and from there, things have, have gone uh, well so far. I mean, it, to be fair, it's probably too early to, to, to maybe have a, a real feel for that. Um, tell me uh, about y'all's clientele. Who frequents your establishment? It's really interesting. We have a super diverse clientele. Um, <clears throat> there's, I think there's some skeptics who are like, why would I go to the juice bar? Why, like— this is coffee and tea right or like why are we paying $12 for this drink so like we still there's still some work to do to to grab the larger audience but we really made a accelerated timeline to get this space open and ready for dry January and there's a lot of people who are just really curious and are like okay well had a wild holiday season bodies ready to dial it back or like making some resolutions or just wanting to feel better in general um so we have a lot of people who are doing dry january and just are really curious we have some people who've been sober for 20 years and are like oh this is so intriguing there's something that i can do that you know, is really feeling inclusive, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not just sipping on a Diet Coke or whatever. Like, um, you know, in general, it's sort of like a 25 to 35 demo. Um, People who are interested in health specifically Mm -hmm. and kind of like how alcohol plays a role in health and wellness and starting to be so much science behind removing that, How you know, the beneficial aspects. Coming up on a month being open. Give me an estimate or a sense of how often you or your your uh, staff are seeing expectant mothers or seeing <laughs> pregnant women in this space. Last night I went and there was someone who found out like at the table, like from their doctor that they were pregnant. Oh, wow. It was so cool. It was awesome. So I would say it's, it's not like the place is not swarmed with pregnant mommies, um, which would be cool. <laughs> that would be cute. But, um, you know, we definitely see... A lot of baby bumps walking into the space for sure. Are people coming in once or twice and trying it out? Or have you noticed that, oh, there's a Thursday crowd or a Saturday late afternoon crowd? There are definitely different crews. So we have sort of like our four to six happy hour weekday. People who are, you know, we have a lot of office space right around. Mm-hmm. So they're just popping in after work. We've seen that. We see our like 7 to 9 p.m. rush 
that like 8 p.m. is really kind of our peak time. People mm-hmm. are going out to dinner and then they want to come have a drink or two afterwards. And then we're open till midnight on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. And we're like, we have to wait for them, to, for our guests to be leaving post midnight to be yeah. really closing the door. So people are holding it down pretty late, which is fun. We're speaking with Meg Paradise, co-founder and co-owner of Umbrella Dry Bar in Raleigh. It's Raleigh's newest and possibly first non-alcoholic cocktail bar. I'm Jeff Tabiri. We'll return in a moment here on Do South on WUNC. Welcome back. It's Due South on North Carolina Public Radio WNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri here in the studio with Meg Paradise. She uh, had a dream uh, a couple of years back to open a mocktail bar, a dry establishment, no alcohol. It's called Umbrella Dry Bar. It's located in downtown Raleigh. And as a reminder, we'd love to hear from you. If uh, you are embarking on a damp or sober January, you can uh, email us due south at wunc.org. That's D-U-E-S-O-U-T-H at wunc.org. Meg, how often are you getting folks, and let me just step right into the the pile of you-know-what here and say, <laughs> acknowledge that I'm somebody who might do this accidentally or, or just kind of blindly, but how often are people maybe coming into your establishment from another establishment, not even realizing, oh, they're, they're, those, those taps don't have alcohol in them? How often are you getting drinkers in there? We see it, and you know what? I love it. You yeah. know why I love it? Because it means that we're doing a good job of making our bar look like you're not missing out on something. You walk by and you're like, ooh, look at those like sexy blue lights under that bar. It looks moody. I want to go in there and mm-hmm. like bring my date in there. Yep. Um. So I love it, actually, when that happens. Take us next level with the scene. Is there music? Is there a piano? Do you do trivia once a week? Like, What other ways is this totally normal or totally different? So the aesthetic is very like high-end chic cocktail bar, but it's also at the same time playful and accessible too. Um, I worked with a designer really kind of pouring my heart out into it to make it feel both like fancy, high-end, chic, sophisticated. You walk in, you're like, ooh, beautiful glassware. Ooh, look at like this touch, that touch, all these different aspects, even the scent when you walk in and the lighting, all of it is super intentional. Um, so we have live jazz. Um, we just did that last weekend on Saturday. It was jam packed walking room only, like don't tell the fire marshal probably over capacity, but, um, (laughs) so that was fun. We've been doing a single mingle. That is so fun. I'm obsessed with this. I facilitate it. Um, it's really cool. So we have people come in, um, we provide a complimentary complimentary glass of bubbly Mm -hmm. um and then i have these like little conversation starter cards and pass them out and then just rotate people through and Uh 30 people came on thursday and people were like exchanging numbers at the end and i was like okay well we're all wrapped up and people are still hanging out and chatting i know i know so it was so fun so there um we're going to be doing tastings and educational typing type things because all the products are really new so even someone who um has not been drinking for a long time all the products are still really new we have dozens and dozens of these non-alcoholic spirits non-alcoholic wine and beer and a lot of times we you know we get questions all the time about it like 
how does it taste different? What is non-alcoholic bourbon? I yeah. don't understand this. Right. Uh, meat, meat and mingle or the meat and mingle or the mm-hmm. I'm married, single so mingle. Single mingle. See, single mingle. Uh, no game here. No <laughs> game whatsoever. Uh, but tell the people what they need to know. This is Thursdays at like six o'clock. You can find love. Is Umbrella Dry Bar in downtown Raleigh. No pressure yes, or anything. Yes, I but love here we go. it. Okay. I want that to exist and I want it to be, you know, a lot of people's first date spot yeah. like because it's really safe too. like think about that if you're going out and yep. you're meeting someone for the first time you like coffee shop is boring um you want to like have it feel a little bit nicer feel a little bit more elevated um this is a great spot for it but you're it's as if you're going out for drinks but then you actually are masked by alcohol meg paradise co-founder of umbrella dry bar here on do south put the phones down stop Swiping left or right. I've, I've been married for 10 years. I never had to swipe, and I'm very appreciative to not had to do that, deal with that, because I don't think I would have been very good at it. But um, you, So you've spent a lot of time and emotional energy and thought constructing this, this place, this space, and I'm interested in the bartenders because mm-hmm. a bartender is, from my perspective as a drinker, it's an important role in any bar. Pivotal. Um, how do you recruit bartenders for a dry bar? Who are your who are your bartenders? Yep. So they are regular bartenders that just happen to be interested in the non-alcoholic space. So some of them like it's not a requirement to not drink or to yeah. be sober, to okay. be I mean, obviously, while you're in this space, it's a requirement. But sure. like in general, in life, it's not a requirement to be sober to um, to bartend at our bar. So we have some really great high quality um, folks who are mm-hmm. local to the Triangle who've been bartending for a long time. And, you know, um, in bartending and um, culinary in general, I think there's always like, oh, I want to, I want to be the trendsetter, like in this new wave mm, of something. Interesting. So right now, um, it's ch- like a lot of these products are challenging to work with. So you have some similar flavor profiles, but it's not just like a one for one exchange. Um, so there's a lot of growth that can happen for our, our bar team in skills just from like playing around and it's such a new wave like it's such a you know right on the forefront be because you know it's been quite a while where you can get a mocktail so that's right. sort of the difference is we consider a mocktail as something that's like you know muddled mint and strawberry and sparkling water mm-hmm. or maybe a syrup that you're making in house like but without any spirit in it right. and we call these non-alcoholic cocktails because they're made with a base spirit in it and then kind of build it that way the same way you would with a typical cocktail with alcohol in it. So, um, But just to be clear, because I want to make sure I've got it, the base spirit is a non-alcoholic whiskey, a Mm non-alcoholic gin. Mm -hmm. Where's that source from and how do they do that? Like what is is vodka without liquor in it or alcohol in it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's kind of, there's a couple different things. One, there's a de-alkalized version. So they remove the alcohol. It started as bourbon and they take alcohol out of it. I don't want to get too nerdy here because I'm not a nerd. Uh, is this through like reverse osmosis? Mm-hmm. How do they, okay. Yep, reverse osmosis. There we go. Okay. Yep. Um, and then another version is as a botanical distillate. So it's a water-based product and they sort of, they're like, okay, well, these are the flavor you know, notes that we want this to hit. How can we do that? Basically brew it up and turn it into a product. Are these 
ingredients? Are these uh, sources, are they coming from North Carolina, from the South, from all over the country? International, all over the world. So that over the last two plus years, I've been tasting and trying all of these products. And it, I mean, working 80 hours a week right now plus, but this is like actually just fun because all the things are, they're just exciting, like Mm -hmm. getting sent samples and meeting founders and talking about where are you sourcing your ingredients? What's sort of the intention behind this Mm -hmm. product? And so we're really curating what's in our space. Um, So even like non-alcoholic bitters, which is really cool. Like typically bitters are um, high ABV. You're only using a few drops, but (laughs) made with a high proof spirit. We've sourced um, ones that are made with vegetable glycerin as the base. So they don't have any alcohol in them, which I think is also really important to be able to say within our space, like no matter whether you're drinking or not, if you are wanting to go to a place that is non-alcoholic, like mm-hmm. where there's no alcohol in there, you've come to the right place. Like there's no alcohol in this space. Meg Paradise here on Do South. We're chatting about uh, some of the offerings at Umbrella Dry Bar. Uh, I will, I'm going to concede and then I'm going to pivot here. I will concede that I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I drink alcohol, but I, 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 fashion i i I lean toward an ipa i'll drink a margarita i love a nice glass of prosecco if Mm -hmm. i come in what are you recommending for me at umbrella we have i think probably five or six ipas right now more to come but those Mm -hmm. are these are sort of our favorites that we found we have a really delicious non-alcoholic bubbly um, my favorite is by Joyous, which is from Washington State, which is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Friends with the founder. Her name is Jess. She's incredible. Her product is incredible. It feels very celebratory. It makes a wonderful gift. Um, it's de-alkalized wine. So you drink it and you're like, okay, this is this wine. Is wine. <laughs> like, what yeah. do you – it tastes super familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we don't have a – Exactly a margarita on our menu, but I think you would really enjoy the Magdalena Number no. Two, which is delicious. It is um, made with Jalisco Fifty Five, which is a de-alkalized tequila as the base. Mm. And this drink, it has tamarind, um, white verjou. It has a cumin and salt rim on it. What's price range here? Talk to me about how little or how much I can spend. Um, our cocktails range from 11 to $16. Um, as we were talking about kind of the process of a lot of these products, how they're being made, it's like an extra step for alco- than alcohol. So say mm-hmm. a de- de-alkalized tequila, they're going through the exact process of tequila and then doing the reverse osmosis afterwards and all of that. So um, our base spirits cost actually more <laughs> than than alcohol yeah. to us. So it's going, you're looking at a menu and it's going to be very similar to anywhere else in Raleigh where you're going to a cocktail bar. So, like you, I have two young children and they're in daycare. <laughs> and my wife and I, fortunately, privileged, we have we have a disposable income, we have jobs, but you know, you say eleven to sixteen dollars for a cocktail, and I think, okay, like that that's not cheap. And I wonder, I don't wonder. I'm sure there's some people listening going, Oh, like that's a lot of money for a non-alcoholic cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh what do you say to them? What's your pitch? How do you say, no, there's no alcohol, but? Well, I think that in general, and this is probably something you're speaking to alcohol on, on this hour, but in general, why do we put a higher value on alcohol? Like, why should something with alcohol cost more than something without alcohol? That doesn't make sense. Simple as that. Um, I mean, that's my that's my 
one sentence answer sure. if you no, <laughs> want I, me on long right? <laughs> no, in all honesty, I love the one sentence answer, and there are a couple more things I want to get to, and I'm, I'm coming up on time. I'll probably extend a little bit here if that's okay. Um, let me circle back, if I may, to the bartender. Sure. And there's something, whether it's cliche and how often it really plays out, I don't know. Maybe I've done it in my life. Uh, <laughs> you drink, the inhibitions drop. And that bartender becomes something of a therapist. They are Mm -hmm. a set of ears. They are a talker. Is that happening in this space? It does. I love it. I love it. And so we had, um, before this space in downtown Raleigh, um, had a space in North Raleigh at a garden where we took an old mulch shed and turned it into an actual bar. (laughs) It was really fun. I like it. Um, And that was my first, like, actual insight into seeing this people would sit at the bar and be like gossiping about their last date or their breakup or like you know their mother-in-law or how their work is or anything else what's your favorite cocktail on the menu i have a special drink that i made myself it's called i'll have what meg's having so that is my favorite drink it's made with um, Rasa Svada, which is a really, really interesting base spirit. It's a restore- restorative spirit. It has rose and bergamot and just some like earthy, deep roots mm-hmm. um, that are in it. So it's pretty intense on its own, yeah. um, but really sort of deep and sultry and moody. And then it also has a rose cordial and some lime juice. And then we use beauty water as mm-hmm. sort of like a little sparkly on top, which is rose and strawberry, um, really light sparkling water, and then lavender bitters. It's incredible. Meg Paradise is the co-owner and founder of Umbrella Dry Bar in downtown Raleigh. And She has spent some wonderful time with us here on Do South. Meg, thanks for stopping by. Of course. Thank you. It's Do South on WNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. We're continuing with our sober January hour now. Did you know North Carolina has the most breweries of any state in the Southeast? If you're beneath Pennsylvania and uh, east of Texas, North Carolina has more than any other neighboring or nearby state, 423 breweries either up and running or permitted. And I believe it's still true that Asheville has more breweries per capita than any little beer drinking municipality in the country. This uh, is according uh, to some of the data. And we're going to turn to uh, the North Carolina Craft Brewers Guild now. Lisa Parker is the executive director of the guild and joins us here on Do South. Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Alcohol sales go down every January. This is according to national data, at least. I'm curious as to how much of a struggle this is for craft breweries here in our state. So, you know, I think one of the first things to understand is that January has historically been the slowest month of the year um, for a number of reasons in our hospitality industry. Uh, You know, we're coming out of the holidays and consumers are feeling a financial pinch. on their discretionary spending. And the weather in North Carolina in January is simply not our best. It's cold, it's damp. And so given that, along with the early um, dark days that we have through January, I think it's harder for you know, many of our customers to motivate getting out of the house and going, going out on the town, if you will. Is there anything that you're aware of that any breweries, brew pubs, uh, craft beer makers are doing in North Carolina to weather the drought, so to speak? Yeah, because 
Because January is a tough month for so many reasons, um, the, the weather, the coldness, the darkness, and, and now dry January, which does in fact impact us. Um, we have seen our tap rooms just creating such incredible experiences to draw customers out, you know, with, with creating warm outdoor spaces with heaters and fire pits to fun activities that they're doing in their tap rooms with um, new health goals that folks take on here at the start of the year. So many of our breweries are offering a lot of our alternative options for their customers. And I just one more quick follow-up for me. As for those alternative options, North Carolina makes so much beer, so much good beer and cider. Are there any NA, non-alcoholic options, that are currently being produced here in our state? Yeah, there there are. So we have um, a new company in the state, SIBO Brewing Company, that has started brewing and distributing a non-alcoholic beer. So many of our tap rooms are now offering um, various NA beer options. Um, craft sodas hmm. are real popular in our state. We have a, a variety that are brewed here in North Carolina. And um, we've just... Hop waters and teas and uh, a whole slew of options that our breweries have now. Lisa Parker is the executive director of the North Carolina Craft Brewers Guild. Lisa, thanks for joining us briefly here on Do South. Thank you so much for having me. Lisa Parker is the executive director of the North Carolina Craft Brewers Guild. This is Do South. I'm Jeff Tabiri. You've been listening to our Dry January Hour. We've spoken with some researchers on Americans in Alcohol Use, the owner of a new non-alcoholic bar in downtown Raleigh, and the head of the NC Craft Brewers Guild. Join us back here on North Carolina Public Radio again tomorrow, online at WNC.org, and of course, wherever you download your podcasts. <laughs>